On a show that talks about time traveling Bigfoot and alien sex cults, this is serious journalism, people. Serious. This time, this like, time we mean it. If you think that there are not birds that are not <laughs> real, you're a moron. At this point, I'm not throwing these weirdos out because maybe they're telling the truth. Why does everything have to be a hidden conspiracy where the motives <laughs> aren't really clear? Where you can't tell what someone's intentions are from their words. Why, Abby, why? I, I feel like you're just not answering the question. There is a pattern here that is definitive, and mm -hmm. this leads us to the CEO's response, yeah. which is not the way that you Amazing. want to play being accused of in a conspiracy theory. If jet fuel can melt steel beams, why can't it melt passports? I'm just thinking to myself, like, who thinks like this? Oh, the United States government thinks like this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Conspiracy Pilled Season 4, Episode 1, Were Dragons Real? I'm your host, PJ Williams, and with me, back again after what feels like a month, according to everybody in chat and myself, <laughs> is Abby Libby. How are you doing, Abby? I, I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> how's the Braxton Hicks treating you? It's it's so much fun. So yeah, the last three days I hit noon and I start having Braxton Hicks for the rest of the night. And today's been a lot. So I'm gonna try to <laughs> do this episode. Sweet. So if if uh, we should have put Abby goes into labor during this so <laughs> on, 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 on our 2024 bingo card, would have been great. So, yeah, I thought I was having an interesting week, but all I saw was a guy nearly get stabbed in a McDonald's parking lot. So not not quite as cool. Did I tell you that story? Yet? Was it you again? It was. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's my favorite story to tell. For people who don't know, I was stabbed in a McDonald's parking lot at three in the morning one time by me. <laughs> if I leave out that last part, it sounds like a really cool story. No, I was. Um, I saw a guy. Uh, try to get into a fight with a McDonald's employee, and then he looked he looked like he was reaching for a gun. Oh like, at God. first he said, you want to fight? He started putting up his fist. Then it looked like he was reaching for a gun. And the McDonald's employee, without hesitation, whipped out a switchblade and started running at the guy and chased him out of the parking lot with a knife, all, like, right in front of me. Um, mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. that's South Bend for you. It's uh, Apparently it's just, like, Tuesday to that guy. He's like, yeah, this stuff happens all the time. I was like... That's why this is why I do not live here. It's an awful, Annie, terrible place. Annie in chat said, I thought they killed off PJ's character in season three. <laughs> we all hoped that that had happened. But yeah. the writers are lazy. Yeah. You know, it's just like the resurrection plots of every Marvel movie. So <laughs> yeah. he survives another stabbing in a parking lot, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Yeah, two two is my limit though. I don't want to go for a third one. Yeah, storyline's getting old. Time, so. It's getting old. <laughs> so Abby, uh, what are we talking about tonight? Preview it for us. Dragons. Um, 
were, were they were, were they real are are they real <laughs> what else do you want asked. i shouldn't have asked well really quickly uh as we get going again you guys have probably noticed and if you're listening to this definitely come over to rumble and watch a live show on a wednesday night but you probably noticed some updates or some cool new things that we're trying to do i think most of the bugs have been worked out uh, so thank you for giving us the, the break to do this. And uh, thank you for coming over and supporting the show on conspiracypill.locals.com. We've got a bunch of new supporters tonight. So I'm going to give you guys all a shout out. We've got Hippie Goat Chick, Mr. Worm, A Royal Mess, Raccoon and Rehab are all new monthly supporters. I love it. I love We've it. We've got Micah Jowers and Fape, F-A-A-I-P music, Fape music, who okay. are both uh, one-time supporters for three months. We have Trevor Denning, gave a one-time support of six months. And then we have Texas or yeah, Texas Patriot 1836, Snowgirl 86, Toki Tokester, and Mrs. Sam B, all new yearly supporters. So if you guys come over to conspiracypill.locals.com, you get a bonus unhinged episode every week. And this week we're gonna be talking about the blob from outer space. I'm gonna be talking about the blob from outer space. Nice, so it's definitely nice. something you don't want to miss. Um, so thank you guys for coming over supporting the show. Appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, let's get into it. What are we talking about? Let's do this. Uh, yeah, Sater says, Abby sounds more pregnant this season. <laughs> I am. That is that Fact is true. true. <laughs> all right. All right. So, dragons, were they real? <laughs> I'm going to keep saying the title over and over. Okay. So, to start off, I wanted to say that throughout this episode, you're going to notice that as we discuss the question, another question follows as to whether or not if they're real, the, if they're real animals or if they're demonic beings. And then that kind of circles back to the first question. So the whole subject is a little bit difficult and messy because of that tension between if they're real, are they biologically real or is there a spiritual element to them? So just keep that in mind and then we'll discuss it at the end. This is the, I love this. I love that talking point because it seems like with cryptid so often, the focus is just on is this an actual undiscovered animal. Right. And then when you talk about things like dragons or things like Bigfoot, you always kind of come around to the supernatural paranormal strangeness where it's like, well, if we're only looking at, at it in a very um, materialistic sense, mm. maybe not. But uh, yeah. Right. Anyway. Okay. So the first section I kind of want to talk about here is, is just the semantics of it all. So, Giant scary lizards, giant scary lizards, some of whom are carnivorous and some of whom fly. Real or not real? Some of them are in Congress. <laughs> it, when, when we're talking about, we all believe in the reality, I think, I think we all do, of giant scary lizards, some of whom were carnivorous and some of whom could fly. But if you say... You're talking about dinosaurs, the answer is yes. And if you say you're talking about dragons, the answer is no. And, and why is that? Why is why can we describe the same exact thing and then the word we use to name it changes whether or not you think it's real? I think it's the same exact reason why we can admit that a mountain, a silverback gorilla exists and Bigfoot doesn't, right? It's <laughs> right. because of the supernatural weirdness. I, I truly think that's what it is. Yeah. Is, is yeah. In order to admit that dragons are real... You have to admit, admit something a little bit more mythological about yes. sightings of beings that we don't take seriously because of the mythological aspect around them. I think that's absolutely right. And yeah. I, I hope to really get into that as we go along. So I want to introduce you to this guy. His name is Richard Owen. He looks a little crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he's been in the mercury a little bit, which 
might might be been dipping in the old mercury. (laughs) He was a contemporary and in fact a rival of Charles Darwin. And he is most famous for coining the word dinosaur in 1841. He was a biologist and paleontologist, and his other major contribution to science was just setting the standard for museums that had fossils in them. So getting basically getting fossils out of like a regular museum and getting them into their own like natural history museum space. Uh, yeah, I like Malcolm's comment here. That's that's him smiling in the picture. That's him smiling. People wanted to know. Yeah, he's uh, he's, he's real very happy. pleased. <laughs> as happy as he ever was some might say yeah <laughs> um yeah so he combined two greek words the the first one is danos which means terrible powerful wondrous and then the second one is saros which is lizard which means lizard so basically dinosaur just means huge terrible lizard like it so um uh, yeah it's 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 just another word for for dragon he just came up with <laughs> he just came up with a word that literally just means the same exact conception of dragon except that it it like you said it's it's she, he came up with a word that's sheerly biological mm-hmm. um okay so if you ask google google if you google quote are dinosaurs and dragons the same i want to show you the very very top hit <laughs> because it's funny so it's this like thing uh kind of geared toward kids here it looks like computer lab in 1999 (laughs) (laughs) um here in the background section it says dinosaurs fascinate little children it is every child's dream to one day have his very own dinosaur ask the students if this could possibly happen they should realize this is the top thing that comes up on google this is the top hit (laughs) for that particular search term which to me was I didn't try to manipulate the search term. To me, that was like the most natural search term for what I was trying to get to. I mean, I feel like this is a little bit intentional, right? To be like, you have to be a child to ask this question is is what Google is essentially saying. Yeah. Yeah. It's a weird top hit. Mm -hmm. Um, They should realize that dinosaurs have long since been extinct. Children may confuse a dragon as a type of dinosaur. Dragons exist only in stories and myths. However, dinosaurs were once real creatures. Discuss the difference between extinct and mythical animals. Mythical are not real, and extinct are real, but no longer living. And then we have, uh, I think, a Venn diagram that Kamala Harris would be really (laughs) proud of. She probably Um, made this one. So in the middle, the similarities are have claws, have scales, have long tails, dinosaurs, real, now extinct, no wings, can't fly, don't breathe fire. Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I thought pter- <laughs> pterodactyls were pterodactyls. dinosaurs. They're just conveniently ignoring pterodactyls. <laughs> and then in the dragon mm. section, mythical, wings, can fly, breathe fire, reptiles in quotations what's that even mean it's scare quotes so they couldn't yeah. even put reptile into the like this is a terrible venn diagram this is even, why it's so retarded because even the people mm-hmm. who have like read through mythology and go okay look these people are very honest serious people who are writing about dragons we have to take them somewhat seriously because we take everything else they say seriously yeah so we just will come up with a fit we'll say kimono dragons we'll say this we'll say that but like this is just insulting to, to like it people is. Who are like yeah, no, we can't actually throw out all of human history and written uh, evidence of these things. We have to, like, explain it. This is just like, no, we don't have to do that. 
Um, the very last line here is my favorite. With this new information, have students make their own drawings of a dino- of a dragon or a dinosaur. You may want them to glitter the dragon to reinforce t- the idea of not real. <laughs> I've met so plenty, anyway, I've met plenty of women who who wear glitter and they're real. Apparently, when I teach geography to my children, I'm going to glitter Ohio. Glitter Ohio. To reinforce <laughs> not real. I am gonna go do that to the to the big US map hanging up upstairs for, for my kids. Like, glitter on there. Need to make this clear, kids. Ohio's glittery for a reason. Let's talk about it. Ohio's a, a, is a myth. <laughs> Cracks me up. So yeah. See, Atlantis um, is extinct, but Ohio is a myth. Let's talk about the difference. <laughs> oh man. Oh man, oh man. Okay. So the given explanation for why dragons and dinosaurs have to not not given in that ridiculous thing, but but the actual more serious given explanation uh, for them having to be different things is that dinosaur bones don't show up in the same geological la- layers as human remains, and there's this idea in paleontology and geology. Um, paleontology, yeah, paleontology. Well, they're they're kind of they're kind like of mixed this. in this aspect, yeah, yeah. That the layers are millions of years apart. Um, they're laid down very very slowly, and because we don't see dinosaur bones outside of those lower layers, it is absolutely impossible that they lived in another time period than those layers allegedly mm. indicate. Sorry, I am <laughs> struggling. Um, so they, they say, based on the layers, it's impossible that dinosaurs ever lived with humans, except that we have tons of stories from around the world of people living with huge, terrible lizards. But right. those, are, those are made up huge, terrible lizards, obviously. Well, this would also like just negate the idea that every single thing that ever died was like fossilized. You know what I mean? Like that's that's right. the belief instead of that. The, the reason there's only a few fossils because it takes very specific conditions like a volcano or something, which also, by the way, we've learned will completely like screw up any idea of like geological layers in history. Like volcanoes yeah, do lace that. down. Right. Multiple different layers in a couple hours. Yeah, yeah, lay down like a million years of of uh, geology in a few hours, right? So like, yeah, I already don't really super trust that science, but like it takes it takes very specific things to happen to bury fossils. Floods, for example. Fl- floods, for example. Good. Yeah. Good point. <laughs> um. So, but here's the thing about coming to conclusions like like that one based on layers. We've been wrong before. In mm-hmm. fact, we've been wrong about the exact layer in question. I did not know this. So, according to the fossils and the layers, both the dinosaurs and this ancient fish called the coelacanth went extinct at the same time, at the end of the Cretaceous period, 65 to 66 million years ago. The last time we saw a coelacanth fossil was in the same place as the dinosaurs are. Um, so obviously, that's my point, right? The coelacanth lived past that and we just don't have its fossil in other layers. Right. So it was really, really awkward 
for us to find this 66 million year old extinct thing swimming around alive in 2019 off the coast of South America. Ah, yeah. Um, so like you said, it, it, it takes some really specific circumstances to, to, to make a fossil in the first place. And the, just the existence of the coelacanth in, in the modern era proves that some of these common scientific assumptions about the layers are wrong, or if not wrong all the time, at least wrong some of the time, right? Mm. Um, animals can show up later, do show up later anyway. Another example of this um, is the megalodon, right? It, it was thought to have gone extinct 3.6 million years ago, but we've talked through a couple different pieces of pretty compelling evidence on the channel in the last couple months that it is in fact not extinct. And I think a lot of people are perfectly ready to believe that it's not extinct. Well, I mean, I've always been that way just because I remember growing up in the 90s and the huge deal around the, the giant squid. And I can't remember if in the 90s right. it was believed that they were extinct or if it was just believed they never existed. I think it was the first because mm. there was evidence of like long tentacles washing up like 300 meter long tentacles so like i think that we started to find them anyway by the by the late 90s they had proven the fact that giant squids these 300 meter long squids do exist so right. the fact that that could be found i, I mean <laughs> some there's got to be other creatures that big is my point in in a mostly right. unexplored uh part of the world right uh, particularly in the ocean and particularly Pat Mo, in Pat some Mo's, of these... uh, says there's a really good documentary about uh, the Megalodon with Jason Statham in it, if anybody's interested. <laughs> I liked that. It was a good yeah, documentary. It's called The Meg. It's a great documentary. <laughs> I heard there's a sequel. If more information has come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, definitely one of those movies that feels like Revelation of the Method when just a couple years after the movie comes out, it um, we start to see this type of evidence right. uh, surfacing. But yes, especially when it comes to the ocean and especially when it comes to like deep swamps of Africa, deep rainforest of South, like South America and then um, deep in Australia, some of those places where it is it is really um it's that chronological chauvinism where we're like, yeah, we've totally discovered every animal and there's not something hiding in these really um really dangerous places that people don't really go. Right. Yeah, we just, um, we believe that we've discovered everything, right? Like that was the point of the Truman exactly. show, is they kept telling him, like, hey, you, we've discovered everything, don't worry about it. Don't look around. Yeah. But it's not true. We found um, new animals and new species like every day. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So all of this, I'm not even going to touch in this episode, um, the, the deep problems with the dating and the assumptions about the layers and age of the earth and all that stuff. But I, I, I do want to talk about those topics in upcoming episodes this season. Um, but kind of leave it at that for now that like, okay, let's just give it to them that they're right about the layers, except sometimes they're wrong. Fair for whatever reason. Okay, so now I want to get into historical records and myths. And so my general rule, I've said it a billion times he here on the channel, my general rule for this is, if there are myths and stories about a certain type of creature popping up all over the world without reference to each other, it's not like one story that has taken off and gone viral around the world. It's a bunch of different um independent stories popping up throughout history and across time and space. I tend to believe that that's about a real thing. Right. 
So when we have these everywhere, dragon stories are everywhere and, and they don't, not only, not only are they independent, they're like different species of dragons. Like they're describing s- similar things, but it's, it's pretty clear in a lot of these stories that like they're, they're solidly different species, which is fascinating to me. So which again, if you're gonna if you're gonna go the route of some people, which is to say, these are accounts of dinosaurs, and you have to kind of go, well, maybe people actually did exist around some right. of these things. Yeah, maybe they didn't all. My, go, go ahead. My favorite um, of the explanations for why dragon myths exist is that people dug up dinosaur bones and made up <laughs> stories about them. And so it's like even even in like the best explanation, they're they are admitting that the stories and the bones are related. Right. I okay, I know this is for a future episode and I won't go off on this tangent. <laughs> but like people actually have to realize how much of dinosaurs are made up. Like and what I'm saying is, I'm not saying they don't exist. What I'm saying is they will find in some cases uh a femur and they will right. decide the dinosaur had to have looked this way. And they will make up a whole... So my point is, like, we think that it's like the movie Jurassic Park where they find a complete velociraptor. Right. And that just doesn't happen. Like, they might be able to piece together a lot of different parts and come up with an idea. But this idea of finding, like, intact entire skeletons, like, laid out in this perfect, like, pose, you know, that's just not a thing that really happens. Uh, yes, you're not you're not having a medieval person that's my point. stumbling on something that they could make a cohesive story about, and they wouldn't know to make they, a wild story more about one call femur. It giant bones, right? They'd find a right. giant ass femur, and they would go, "Oh, this is proof of of giants." Yeah, exactly. So we're gonna definitely talk about that in whatever episode is my next episode, and it may be a little while, but I'm gonna get into the dinosaur conspiracy of it all. All right, we're really quick. We have a rumble rant. Uh, that just popped up on screen so you guys can see that's a new thing now. And this is from Thai Guy Burgers and Fries. It says, if we determine that dragons are real tonight, I demand acceptance that Ohio is real. No, Thai Guy. That's not how this look works. Look at the map. <laughs> it's, Ohio's got glitter on it. It's got glitter it. on it. Don't you know? That's how you know. Yeah. That's how you know it's not real. Come on, man. Get with the program. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate you. Appreciate the rumble right Um <laughs> Even though you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're going to start with Pliny the Elder as far as these historical accounts go. And and I am going to kind of mix in, um, but I'll, I'll be clear which ones are which. Things that are purporting to be accounts, scientific and historical accounts. At le- that's at least how they're presenting themselves, right? And then things that are stories, but still seem to be, in my opinion, about something real, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So Pliny the Elder... We've talked about him on the show before. He was a naturalist and natural philosopher who wrote in the first century AD in Rome. Um, One of the things he's most known for is creating the first encyclopedia and really setting the standard for encyclopedias and just this concept of like collecting all of this knowledge in one place. So he was serious about his stuff. He wasn't just like making shit up he wasn't writing he wasn't at least trying to be writing fiction right like he was trying to present a serious work of of um um academia or whatever right so okay we have we have this um the eighth book of the history of nature 
Um, in chapter one, I'm just going to kind of skim through these first few chapters here of land beasts, the praise of elephants, their wit and understanding. Chapter two, when elephants were put to draw first. Chapter three, the docility of elephants. Chapter four, the clemency of elements, elephants, their foresight and knowledge of their own dangers. Also, the fell fierceness of the tiger. <laughs> Chapter five, the understanding and memory of elephants. Like These are things that we have discovered today. We, we talk about today as like, wow, elephants have an incredible memory. But Pliny was talking about these things years and years ago. Chapter six, when elephants were first seen in Italy. Chapter seven, their fights and combats. Chapter eight, the manner of taking elephants. So the manner of um, capturing. capturing them. Yeah. Um, yep. Chapter nine, the manner of taming elephants. Chapter 10, how they breed and bring forth their young and of their nature otherwise. Chapter 11, wait a second, <laughs> <laughs> where the elephants are bred. How the dragons and they disagree. So I like that it, we've, title. <laughs> <laughs> we've established that this is this is a detailed, serious account of mm -hmm. elephants, right? And then all of a sudden we get to chapter eleven, and what he just starts making shit up. I, it's hilarious because you're right. It's just like here's how elephants are bred. Here's how we know that they're smart. Here's all this stuff yeah. very scientifically. And it's just like, by the way, elephants have beef with dragons. Let's talk about that. <laughs> So I'll, I'll read this part. Elephants breed in that part of Af of Afrique, which lieth beyond the deserts in the wilderness of the Syrtes, also in Mauritania. They are found also among the Ethiopians and Troglodytes, as hath <laughs> rude, um, as hath been said. But India bringeth forth the biggest, and also the dragons that are continually at variance with them and evermore fighting, and those of such greatness that they can easily clasp and wind up round about the elephants and withal tie them fast with a knot in this conflict they die both the one and the other the elephant he falls down dead as conquered and with his heavy weight crusheth and squeezeth the dragon that is wound and wreathed about him so it's like this mutually destructive fight where both creatures die um and then chapter 11 um goes on about this it kind of finishes up with elephants here. And then chapter um, 13 here. Did I say 11? I meant 12. Um, gets I think into the dragons. last one you so said we... nine. I think you said 11 and then nine. Oh, okay. I've, <laughs> 11, I can 12, Roman numerals. On, yeah, now we're on chapter. Yeah, well, 11, what's funny 12. is these aren't even correct Roman numerals. Like this is X-I-I-I-I <laughs> for 14 instead of anyway. Right. It doesn't <clears> do the, um Yeah. So the XIV. Yeah, anyway. This is the 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 earlier form of Roman numerals before yes. they got they got good. So you can see here how first we had all of these entries on elephants, and then we get into the relationship between elephants and dragons, and then we slide into entries on dragons. Um, so Ethiopia, there be as great dragons bred as in India, namely 20 cubits long. But I marvel much at this one thing, why King Ayuba should think that they were crested. They are bred most in a country of Ethiopia where the something in <laughs> inhabit. No idea. It, yeah. Askei, Asakai inhabit. It is reported that upon their coast, they are enwrapped four or five of them together, one within another, like to hurdle or lattice work, and thus pass the seas for to find better pasturage in Arabia, cutting the waves and bearing their heads aloft, 
which serve them instead of sails. So what he's saying here is that these dragons will like get together and like create a raft of themselves, <laughs> like right. get into like a formation, right? And then go over the ocean together. I find this interesting because my first thought would be like for for like a devil's advocate would to say, oh, he's talking about like anacondas or giant boa mm-hmm. constrictor or something like that. Uh, but that's definitely not an explanation. It says they have sails, right? Is that what he said? Uh, yeah, bearing their heads aloft, which serve them instead of sails. So oh, like, okay, they, okay, they, okay. yeah, they're putting their heads up and the heads are catching, which uh, an anaconda's head is too small for this. So the for idea sure. is that they're, um, I'll just read a little bit more here. Um, Megasthenes writeth that there be serpents among the Indians grown to that bigness that they are able to swallow stags or bulls all whole. Metrodorus saith, so he's citing these other people who have done research, that about the river uh, Rhindacus in Pontus, there be serpents that catch and devour the fowls of the air, be they never so good in flight of wings, and soar they never so high. Well known it is that Attalus Regulus, general under the Romans during the wars against the Carthaginians, assailed a serpent near the river Bagrada, which carried in length 120 foot and had given the assault to some strong town of war. I'm sorry, wait. You skipped uh, the part. And yeah, I did. I conquer him, was driven to discharge upon him arrows, quarrels, stones, bullets, and such like shot out of brakes, slings, and other engines mm-hmm. of artillery as if it had given the assault to some strong town or war. And the proof of this what he is, was to be seen by the... Um, by the marks sorry this is hard to read guys. it's hard to read yeah because uh, it's not written in english english um seen by the marks remaining in his skin and chaws which until the war of pneumatica remained in the temple of of conspicuous conspicuous uh, place of rome and this is the more credible for that we see in italy other serpents named boa or boet Again, it's weird. B-O, and then it's that mm. A-E thing, like Elon Musk is naming a child. Yeah. So big and huge that it was the days of the Emperor Claudius. There was one of them killed in the Vatican uh, within the belly whereof there was found an infant all whole. This serpent liveth at the first kind's milk, of first of kind's milk, and therefore <laughs> taketh the name Bo, Boa, I think, uh, as for other beasts, which ordinarily of late are brought from all parts into Italy and oftentimes have been seen, needless it is that for me to describe their forms in particular curiosity. That last slide is so interesting to me because he's like, so many of these creatures have been brought into Italy. I don't have to describe them to you. Because you've probably seen them yourself. Because you've seen them. Right. E- exactly. Um. And so he he gets done with talking about dragons and he starts talking about Scythian beasts and then lions. Um, just interesting. So like some of what he's talking about may be similar to boa constrictors, but also this is not the, this is Italy. This isn't South America. Right. So um, there's clearly something else further going on, but they were called dragons. They were, and, and he's talking about different species of dragons mm-hmm. that are different species that are all accepted as part of were, the dragon. Were any of these species covered in glitter? <laughs> That's all I want to know. I don't see anything okay. in Pliny about glitter. I okay. do have another we do have another um, Pliny entry here about dragons and this this is um, this one's called Remedies Derived from the Dragon. 
So not only is he claiming that dragons exist, he's now going to talk about specific applications of the dragon. So it says here, the dragon is a serpent destitute of venom, its head placed beneath the threshold of a door. The gods being duly propitiated by prayers will ensure good fortune to the house. It is said its eyes dried and beaten up with honey form a liniment which is an effectual preservation against the terrors of specters by night in the case of the most timorous even. The fat adhering to the heart attached to the arm with a deer sinews in, in the skin of a gazelle will ensure success in lawsuits, it is said. And the first joint of the vertebra will secure an easy access to persons high in office. So there's, there's a lot of it, it's, it goes he was on. an alchemist. I mean, we talked about him right. in the Gold Juice episode specifically because of his writings on alchemy. So right. I, I, right. it makes total sense that you would be looking for dragons uh, for a form of alchemical magic. Right, right. There's a lot of superstition here around these different parts of the dragon. But I think something like that is like you don't nobody, – nobody writes this about Bigfoot. Nobody says – like. Not to say Bigfoot, I don't, I think Bigfoot's real, but like nobody's writing this about Bigfoot. Nobody's saying, hey, if you, if you take the heart of Bigfoot, um, here's the property of that. And if you take its, its fat around its liver, here's the property of that. And if you put its head under your door, here's the property of that. I have heard some good recipes for Bigfoot eggs though. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't know about Bigfoot. <laughs> it's, it's like the platypus, it's a mammal. <laughs> <laughs> Well, all um, yes, it is but like a the platypus. Known fact about Bigfoot. <laughs> the platypus, platypus, <laughs> Bigfoot, same category of thing. Yeah. Um. Yes. Okay. So that is enough of Pliny the Elder. Now I want to talk about Beowulf. Now Beowulf uh, is does not pretend to be a historical account. It is very <clears throat> much fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, it was written around 1000 AD. But I want to mention it because it has three acts, and in each one, the hero Beowulf has to fight a different type of monster. So in the first act, he swims across an ocean to Denmark, and he has to fight off sea monsters. Right. And in the second act, he defends King Hrothgar's Mead Hall against the attacks of a monster named Grendel and her son. And the descriptions of Grendel and her son. No, Grendel is the son. Grendel is the son? Grendel's. Yeah, I love, the, I love Beowulf. Okay. So it's the mother and the son. So Grendel's the son, and then then it's his mom. Okay, Grendel and his mom. Um, Yeah, that's my bad. It's been a while since I read it. It's all good. So the descriptions of these monsters are pretty strange, but they're man-eating swamp creatures, and Beowulf is able to rip their arms off. Mm -hmm. So, like, they're very strong and have big teeth, and they've killed all these people, but Beowulf can just rip their arms off. And so... People have made the made the um, argument that that Grendel's a T Rex. I love it. Grendel with his stumpy little arms. And then and they live in the they live in the swamp. Um, okay, and then the third act, Beowulf fights a proper fire breathing dragon. So in one fantastical story, all three of the main types of these dragon creatures are covered. You got the sea monsters, the land monsters, and the flying monsters. I just like it. I never thought of that before, but that's that's interesting. Yeah, and I'd never heard the comparison of Grendel to T Rex either. That's to cool. T Rex, <laughs> so yep. fun. Okay, um, so moving forward in time, we have the Aberdeen Bestiary. 
um, from 1200. Now, the Aberdeen Bestiary takes a lot of um, inspiration and even information from Pliny's encyclopedia. So it's not like it's necessarily new, but it's continuing this tradition of classifying the dragon in the same breath as all of these real creatures. So I just want to show you, it's impossible to read, but you can see the bestiary um, and the, and the, the pictures. So we've got the dragon and then um, of the basilisk. Yep. Sorry. I'm just trying to zoom up on them. Is that, is yeah. that Nessie? <laughs> it looks a little Nessie like it's, it's, <laughs> But you've got you've got some of these different depictions where sometimes they seem to have legs and sometimes they don't seem to have legs. Some of them are more serpent like, some of them are more lizard like. Mm -hmm. That um, one that one's got portholes for other little dragons to come out of. I love it. <laughs> um and then and then it just goes right on to the viper, which is we all know that the viper is a real thing. So um yeah. Cool little stuff. little fire breathing situation the asp so if you go back i just wanted to go back through um all of those pictures okay um uh, two more i think sorry with this one we get to uh yeah one more back this okay that's one you started me on okay. originally yeah yeah so this one this is the entry right before the dragon and I, because what the point I had been planning to make was that the dragon was sandwiched between two real things. I was going to say that the entry after the dragon is the viper and the asp. It's like things we know and accept are real. And then the thing before is, so I scrolled before and I looked up this tree. So it's a, uh, this is the Paradins tree. And I looked it up and they are like, oh yeah, this is a mythological tree. So this is another depiction of the Pyridens tree, that it, also known as the Pyridexian tree. This one's from the Harley manuscript, and this one shows a dragon underneath the tree. So something that happened in this time period with most of the literature that was going on, mm -hmm. most of the literature that was being produced, is that everything had to have a moral, a moral to it. So right, even every. Oh, I was just gonna say, even like the King Arthur legends. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if this would ever be like a future episode, but if anyone's familiar with the questing beast, it's very obvious when you take it apart that it's a giraffe, but it's still got this like whole moral component and this whole like mm -hmm. weird thing to it, right? Where it's like, even in a story where it's just saying, hey, a giraffe escaped from Renagerie, they make it like creepy and weird and like, you know, it's got this like moral mm -hmm. tale. So I think, well, one of the, one of the reasons why these entries in these bestiaries are dismissed both this this tree and the dragons and others are dismissed is because they're like well they made it into a, a moral thing like they made it into a moral they story therefore it's not they did real. It with all of history though exactly and they they did it with they did it with everything that's they didn't know how to write things back then without making it about a moral it's like it's well, hold like on, hold Christian. on let's let's let's, let's stop <laughs> pretending like that's not history now exactly right we 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 certainly have especially we have certain time periods where we get into and it's like we can't have a single movie without there being a woke moral message or we we can't have any christian artwork without it having a like a 
really in your face moral message. Like this was what the time period was like that they had to have an in your face moral message. So the moral message about this tree was that the doves liked to come to the tree and eat its fruit and that these dragons or snakes would be around the tree, but they um, were scared of the tree or they didn't like the smell of it or whatever. So the doves were safe as long as they were in the tree, but when they strayed from the tree, then they would get eaten. And that was like the moral. I feel like, and I need to know, I'd have to look into the story more, but like just looking at the picture, is this like some ancient alchemical concept of the Kabbalic tree of life, Kabbalistic tree of life? Because that's what that looks like. So interesting that you, because I thought the exact same thing. I was like, this tree looks freaking familiar. It looks like something we've looked at before. Right. Um, it's the tr- it's the same tree as the tree of life as depicted in in the ancient Sumerian Assyrian reliefs of the Anunnaki stories, the Epic of Gil- Gilgamesh stories. <clears throat> so we have like it's that same like windy, intricate tree that has right. these like fruits on it that are weird looking. If you go to the next slide, there's like a closer up of this. It's the same tree. Right. And a lot of people have speculated this is like the tree in the Garden of Eden. And if you go back to this picture, it's a dragon at the base of a tree that the Kabbalistic tree of life is based on. These are the chakras. Yeah. I'd have to count them, but isn't it the same same or similar amount of... Because essentially you've got the... It's the same as a chakra. It's the Kabbalistic tree of life is the same as a chakras, right? You've got the left-hand path, the right-hand path. They diverge and they merge again. It's it's synthesis, antithesis, mm-hmm. and, and or it's it's thesis, antithesis, antithesis, and synthesis. It's the three mm-hmm. branches, and it comes back. That's, what, that's yeah. what it looks like to me, anyway. Yeah, and it's it's so this this tree. By the time we get to the the um what's it called again the Aberdeen bestiary the bestiary is is treating it like it's a real tree and it says that it's, it grows in India and and it you know gives gives but like to answer the questions of chat we don't know about this tree in in real life it doesn't appear to exist in real life if you look it up if you google Puritan's tree um it says it's a mythological tree Answer Sater says, PJ knows words. He has the best words. Everyone knows it. Believe me. I wish I could do a good Trump impression because that's a great quote right there. <laughs> um, so there's this common theme with the bestiaries um, and, and, and the Puritan's trees. Sorry. <sighs> okay. The Puritan's tree and its association with snakes and or dragons shows up in a bunch of different bestiaries and texts dating back to the... the um, Physiologus is what it's called, which was written in the second century AD in Alexandria by an unknown author. So that's the earliest one we have where it talks about the Puritan's tree as such. But if we draw the connection between that tree and the the tree of life in, in ancient Sumeria, you have this records of this tree going back to like the earliest recorded human history. So that was a bunny trail about a tree in a in in an episode about dragons. I wanted to answer a question really quick because yeah, S- Swim said the, the I was quoting the Hegelian dialectic. I was, and that is literally what some Kabbalists think that the tree of life is. So yes. when we talk about the the uh, pillars of Yokin and uh, Boaz, 
the point of tearing down the left-hand and right-hand path is to get to synthesis. It is the same story as the Hegelian dialectic. It's mm-hmm. actually a symbol of the Hegelian dialectic. It comes, it's all the same thing. So this is the this is the three tower. Or this, we talked about this in the 9-11 episode. We talked about it in other episodes. But yes, I was saying the Hegelian dialectic because that is how Freemasons, Kabbalists, and Gnostics think about the symbolism of that tree of life, essentially. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm not trying to talk so, over people's heads, but if you yeah, want to know more on this, go back and watch our 9-11 episode and the part that I was talking about the 9-11 being a ritual. I explain all of all this stuff really thoroughly. But yeah, that is the picture. Again, sorry, just to point this out again. That is the same. Let me see if I can put this on screen. That's the same picture as the, the tree of life or the chakras. It's all yeah. considered to be the same thing by, by occultists. So anyway, go ahead. Yeah. Which kind of... It, I think that the, the the Puritan's tree has the same problem as dragons. Is like, is it a real tree? Is it a spiritual tree? Is it both? Was, and and I think a question that will kind of emerge a little bit more as we go along for both of these, and we're not going to dwell on the tree at all, is is the idea that there is like a, a a daddy tree and then like a line of trees that descend from it that aren't the tree of life. They're not the tree of life, but they're they still have that kind of bloodline to them that maybe persisted at least until India at some point to be recorded in these bestiaries. It's interesting. It's interesting because it also feels like all of the representations, including the Kabbalistic tree of life and all that stuff, is the same concept. It's the occult knowledge. It's the knowledge of right. good and evil. It's yeah. this like this pursuit of forbidden knowledge. It's the same exact story, right? So even if it's yeah. like not to say it wasn't literal, but even if it's continued on, the the practice and tradition and the worship of the knowledge of good and evil and the serpent mm-hmm. continues on in symbolism throughout Gnosticism and K- Kabbalah right. and, and Freemasonry and all of it. Yeah, just the idea yeah. that the, 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 the dragons are still lurking underneath this tree. It's also is, Baphomet. Is just Baphomet's another symbol yeah. of the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so enough of that bunny trail. <clears throat> Let's get back on track. Let's talk about Marco Polo. So the travels of Marco Polo. Um, man, I forgot to write down the year of this, but it's it's in the same general time period, uh, medieval Is it, time uh, period. Here it says nine twelve ninety eight. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Okay. So his his travels and his descriptions of his travels are are well respected. They they're known to be impressively accurate. Um. And even things that we didn't know were accurate, like further study of China has determined, mm. oh, like, oh, yeah, Marco Polo was right. Uh, right up until he just starts making up shit about dragons, apparently. It's the same, so. it's the same thing. The other, sorry, the other famous ocean explorer, it's the same thing. Um, uh, C- Christopher Columbus. Yep. He, yep. See, he sees like UFOs and stuff. And they're like, well, he didn't see UFOs. Yeah. yeah. Like you have this highly respected explorer who's very good at writing down and like, Marco Polo's travel book has has survived this whole time because it's still compelling to people to this day mm-hmm. um, how he wrote about his travels. But we're we're not going to take what he says about about dragons seriously because they're glittery. So, <laughs> so I'm going to read this. This dragons, is from chapter. Is is what is uh, Stephanie Meyer going to write a book on dragons now? So we're going to talk about that. We are going to talk <laughs> about okay. that. Okay. Yeah. Well, not Stephanie. Well, kind of. Anyway, so stop derailing me <laughs> slash anticipating my main points. Um, okay, so this is a chapter 40. So leaving the city of Yachi and traveling 10 days into a westerly direction, you reach the province of Karazan, which is also the name of its chief city. 
Here are seen huge serpents, ten paces in length and ten spans in the girt of the body. At the forepart near the head, they have two short, I think that's supposed to be legs, (laughs) two short legs, having three claws like those of a tiger, with eyes larger than a four-penny loaf and very glaring. The jaws are wide enough to swallow a man. The teeth are large and sharp, and their whole appearance is so formidable that neither man nor any kind of animal can approach them without terror. Others are met, others are met with of a smaller size. So he's like, there are the big ones, and then there's the smaller ones, being eight, six, or five paces long. And the following method is used for taking them. So again, it's like, this is how you capture them. And he goes into how they capture them. Eight paces long is still 24 feet, roughly. Still, still pretty big. A ton. Um, and then he goes on to talk about like whose job it is to capture them. And then like Pliny did, some of the medicinal, um, like taking care immediately to secure the gall, which is the most highly esteemed in medicine. In cases of the bite of a mad dog, a penny weight of it dissolved in wine is administered. And he and he talks about how it helps with labor pains for women. And and um, so what you're saying is somebody needs to go kill you a dragon and give you some of its. Uh, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I need somebody to some go kill gall. me a dragon. Yeah. So again, not just not just saying, not just talking about the creature's existence. It's it's funny that people like Marco Polo and Pliny they didn't feel like they had to prove that the animal existed. Everyone knew it existed. They were just he's like, this is what it is. This is its measurements. This is its description. For those of you who haven't seen it, and you know he can't give a photograph right so he's he's describing it for somebody who's never seen it before and then he's like and this is what we do with it that we we capture it this way and we get this benefit from it and um and all that so Mm -hmm. (sighs) um yes please somebody slay a dragon for me okay so as long as we're talking about china real quick let's talk real quick about the chinese zodiac um you see this like Anytime you go to a Chinese ref- restaurant, you'll see a little, you'll get your little placemat with a Chinese zodiac, right? You know, like, and then you look like, what year am I? What year? What year was I born? What year am I? I'm the year of the pig, <laughs> 1995. That makes sense, right? So <clears throat> if you'll notice here, every single one of these creatures is real. The the rabbit. The, the tiger, the ox, the rat, the pig, the dog, the rooster, the monkey, the sheep, the horse, the snake, the dragon. Right. It's the only one that's like randomly in the Chinese Zodiac, a uh, uh, mythological creature. Yep. But the belief in dragons in China seems to be stronger than just about anywhere else. And, and if, if you're going to believe Marco Polo, it's because they were living alongside these creatures and really did learn almost how to domesticate them, or at least to live at peace with them. Um, yeah, and some so, of the strongest and most, uh, you, you know, strongest stories of dragons come from China. Like, that's come where... Come from China. And they go, they go so far back, too. Like, they go way, way, way back to mm-hmm. before other people... Or, sorry, before they were traveling in order to speak with other people. Mm-hmm. Who are also recording these things? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> it's like most most of the stories you hear in the West are there was this monster; it was tormenting a town. We killed it. Mm-hmm. And in China, it's like this is how we coexisted with them. <laughs> you know, 
Um, okay, so the last thing I want to say about China is I want to talk about the dragon dance. So I pulled up this page from the Smithsonian National Museum of Asian Art. And I'll we can play this video in just a second, but I wanted to read this part. Tracing its origins to the Han Dynasty, 206 BC to 220 AD, the traditional dragon dance began as a ceremony for worshiping an ancestors and praying for rain. It later became more of an entertainment, often performed during Chinese New Year. In Chinese culture, dragons symbolize wisdom, power, dignity, fertility, and auspiciousness, and have, beco have become a symbol of the Chinese culture itself. So if you want to just play this video real quick. Let's do it. I feel like I could do that. <laughs> I can't do that though. Yeah, so they're just, they do these dances every year with the dragon and, and um, it's just a big part of the, the culture and the symbolism of the culture. I like that they're all wearing Spongebob onesies. I know. That's it's what really it looks cute. like. <laughs> um, okay, so can we talk about the Venn diagram being wrong again? Because yes. I don't see any wings. And the Venn diagram told me that dragons had glitter and wings. And wings. Yeah. That's the thing. It's There's a reductionist idea that every single dragon in these stories, in these myths, uh, has wings and breathe, breathes fire. And in fact, a lot of them, a lot of the records of them, do not in fact have wings. Some don't have legs. Most don't breathe fire. It's a very like medieval Western dragon that we think of, right? We're thinking of... Yes. The, the, you know, ty knights and dragons type stuff, right? Mm -hmm. We're not thinking of like older, uh, especially very Eastern. English. and yeah, yeah, we're thinking of very English version. We're not thinking of South America's version, like the Quetzalcoatl or the Chinese mm -hmm. version, which are similar to each other again, right. which is odd. Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So it's interesting to what the different cultures did with it. Like China very much seemed to revere and even worship their dragons and similarly like you just said south america worshiping Quetzalcoatl. so in in this is this is one where it's harder to argue that this is about a real creature because it's it seems to be a single being that's being worshiped as a god it doesn't seem like there are all of these dragons running around but it's just the one um the feathered serpent so it's this um this conception of it's a serpent, but it's got wings and it's got feathers. It's the wildest dragon, like so, like the the wildest depiction of a dragon you can that 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 is anywhere. Um, and it's worshipped as it was worshipped as the Aztec and Maya creator god, and similar to the Chinese dragons, prayed to for rain. Mm -hmm. So the the major temple of Quetzalcoatl is the two. Teotihuacan, Teotihuacan temple. I have a couple pictures of it. 
um, it's it's the same temple from the the artist rendering, but it it has all of these dragon heads down the side of it. it's massive. It's a it's a megalith. Uh, here's a close up of this feathered dragon head. You don't build something like this about something that you that doesn't mean something to you, right? Like you don't say, "Oh, I, I made up this creature in my head, and I'm just gonna like spend so much money to create this it, temple." Is that the pine cone thing, like the Anunnaki next yep. to it? Oh yep. my gosh, I never realized but it's, that. But it's its tail. Oh, it is. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is. But but there's there's this interesting like kind of the the Quetzalcoatl was said to have come over the like the over the water and brought knowledge and and brought civilization to this this civilization. So it's just got this very Anunnaki vibe to it anyway. Maybe I'm wrong on this, but I thought the tale, I thought the myth of the the flood myth of that area had to do with Quetzalcoatl like telling them essentially like here's how some of you are going to survive. Yes. This flood. Yeah. Right. That's exactly how it is. For people who want to reference too uh, on some more Quetzalcoatl stuff, we talked about. I talked about uh, Quetzalcoatl and uh, the links to the Nephilim and and uh, clown mythology with with Paul Stobbs in last season. Yeah, check that one out. But we've met, we, he's come up a couple times. I'm trying to think when because I know <laughs> that I talked about it him pretty extensively in one episode, and I might have been. I don't even know what it was. His research anyway. is good. Yeah, people should follow Paul Stobbs. That's good stuff. Yeah, he should. He should. Um, okay, so let's move on to sea monsters on old maps. So very common for on old maps there to be depictions of sea monsters out in the water and warnings about sea monsters. So this is just one example of many. Um, one of the most famous examples I want to say, the Carta Maria is a 16th century map, and it has creatures all over the map. It has all sorts of creatures on land, all sorts of creatures in the water. I found yes. your mom. Oh yeah! Look way up here. It's the uh, mermaid that looks like a freaking manatee. A manatee. <laughs> so I, what I want to point out here is that the creatures on land are all these completely normal creatures. You've got you've got your um, get your your reindeer or your your your. Sorry, I want to make sure I'm looking your, in the right area. It is a little grainy. Should I zoom up a little more? Or? Sure, sure. Is there but then spot in the water, you point out? just, like just the, everywhere. Yeah, just everywhere. You're right there's the reindeer right there. Yeah, okay. you've got you've got normal creatures on land, yep. but then when you get off into the water, you get like every conceivable monstrous sea creature imaginable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just if if it was just all like crazy creatures over the whole map, it'd be one thing. But you've got the normal creatures on land. And then we're going to say, oh, but they just started making stuff up when they got into the water. I mean, that's the excuse for everything, right? Is like if we don't right. like it, if we don't want it to be real, if it points to the world being stranger than it is. Than, than it is. Right. Um, and again, history is full of people who are just wrong. Like like the ape man was is my favorite example of a cryptid. The ape man is what Tarzan's based off of because they thought that the silverback gorilla was a cryptid until like right. 1901. Like. It, not that long ago that we discovered that this, you know, cryptid is just a normal thing that we would go to a zoo and see nowadays. Right. right. Um, okay. So next up, we have St. George and the Dragons. So there's this famous wood cutting that depicts St. George just stabby stabbing this dragon to death. Now, this is where we get into the the English conception of the dragon. You've got the wings here. Um 
And I'm just going to read this segment from Wikipedia um, that kind of summarizes this. So in, in the legend, St. George, a soldier venerated in Christianity, defeats a dragon. The story goes that the dragon originally extorted tribute from villagers. When they ran out of livestock and trinkets for the dragon, they started giving up a human tribute once a year. This was acceptable to the villagers until a princess was chosen as the next offering. And this is when St. George comes in, rescues the princess, kills the dragon. Uh, so the, the, the story originally um, came out of Cappadocia, but uh, went on to Libya. So the story kind of spread around a little bit, but that's, that's, it's, it's your classic, like night saves princess mm -hmm. from dragon story. I love it. This picture is interesting to me because for people listening, the dragon that he's trampling over with his horse and stabbing mm -hmm. in the face, it's not bigger than his horse. Mm -hmm. It's it, it's not very big. It's it's like a it's like a dragon horse is what it looks like, right? So yeah. in my mind, again, like it's not actually that imperceptible if we know things like pterodactyls exist, which again, they don't right. fit in the Venn diagram. Kamala Harris didn't do a super good job on that, but uh, that, right. that goes with the territory. Um you know what I'm saying? Like something like this is way more perceivable on a purely crypto cryptozoological right. standpoint. Like something like a pterodactyl maybe not being fully extinct in, you know, the twelve hundreds. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Can we get some mods in the chat real quick? Thank you. You guys were already on it before I said anything. I missed it. <sighs> Good. <laughs> uh, it was just spam, but okay. um okay. And then finally, a story that's a lot more recent. So this is from 1890 in the United States. Um, some of the some of the latest accounts of dragons actually do come from the Wild West of the mm -hmm. United States. And this is the most famous one. Um, so there was a in Tombstone, Arizona, the same place where the movie is set, same time. There is a um, a, a newspaper called the Tombstone Epitaph, and. There was a story published on April 26th, 1890, that goes like this. Found on the desert, a strange winged monster discovered and killed on the Huachaca Desert. A winged monster resembling a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail and an immense pair of wings was found on the desert between the Whetstone and Huachaca Mountains last Sunday by two ranchers who were returning home from the Huachacas. The creature was evidently greatly exhausted by a long flight and when discovered was able to fly but a short distance at a time. After the first shock of wild amazement passed the two men who were on horseback and armed with Winchester rifles regained sufficient courage to pursue the monster and after an exciting chase of several miles succeeded in getting near enough to open fire with their rifles and wounding it. The creature then turned on the men, but owing to its exhausted condition, they were able to keep out of its way and after a few well-directed shots, the monster part, uh, it's fades off a little bit, but toppled over and remained motionless. The men cautiously approached their horses snorting with terror and found that the creature was dead. They then proceeded to make an examination and found that it measured about 92 feet in length and the greatest diameter was about 50 inches. The monster had only two feet, these being situated a short distance in front of where the wings were joined to the body. The head, as near as they could judge, was about eight feet long, the jaws being thickly set with strong, sharp teeth. Its eyes were as large as a dinner plate and protruded about halfway from the head. 
They had some difficulty in measuring the wings as they were partly folded under the body, but finally got one straightened out sufficiently to get a measurement of 78 feet, making the total length from tip to tip about 160 feet. The wings were composed of a thick and nearly transparent membrane and were devoid of feathers or hair, as was the entire body. So very pterodactyl-like here. Mm-hmm. The skin of the body was comparatively smooth and easily penetrated by a bullet. The men cut off a small portion of the tip of one wing and took it home with them. Late last night, one of them arrived in the city for supplies and to make the necessary preparations to skin the creature when the hide will be sent east for examination by the eminent scientists of the day. The finder returned early this morning, accompanied by several prominent men who will endeavor to bring the strange creature to the city before it is mutilated. Whoa, do they send it to the Smithsonian? <laughs> There was never a follow-up article. I know. There's I know never. Yeah. yeah. There's there's no <clears throat> there's no like scientist that says I examined it and it was bullshit. There's nothing. No. Hey, that was this. a hoax. These guys were yeah. lying. But small, very small scientifically too, yeah. detailed. Mm-hmm. For it, it's it's very like matter of fact. These are the measurements. This is how they got them. This is how the creature was down. And in. Again, not trying to prove that the creature exists, not trying to prove that it's part of some whatever, just saying, look, this is what happened. Here's the news. Weird. Weird, weird, weird. Okay. So I want to talk real quick about the fire breathing problem, because like in that first thing we showed, the the most common thing you hear people bring up of like, dragons can't be real. The myths about these creatures can't be real because they breathe fire. And of course they can't breathe fire. Of course this is fake, right? We can't possibly conceive of a creature that breathes fire. Except we can. So let me show you the bombardier beetle. All right, yeah. I'm going to refresh this page. I think it'll start right up. This is a real creature. Apparently it's muted. Hold on. Oh, uh, let's do it one more time. You had one job, PJ. Why is it muting? I don't know. Ah, no, I don't want Tucker Carlson. Okay. Oh, there it is. The top. Is its unique and powerful defense mechanism when threatened or attacked by predators. This extraordinary insect has the ability to produce and release a scalding, noxious chemical spray from its abdomen. The bombardier beetle achieves this feat through a fascinating chemical reaction that takes place within its body. It stores two separate chemicals, hydroquinone and hydrogen peroxide, in specialized chambers within its abdomen. When it feels threatened, it releases these chemicals into a reaction chamber where they mix with catalytic enzymes, triggering a rapid firing chemical reaction. This chemical reaction produces a boiling noxious spray with a temperature of around 100 degrees Celsius. The pressure builds up within the beetle's abdomen until the spray is forcefully expelled through specialized openings called twin rear glands. With a hot and irritating glass, effectively protecting themselves from predators. One fascinating... Yeah, so it eats a lot of T-Bell. Yeah. <laughs> it just like yeah. it all over you. <laughs> You've got this, this, this beetle, which it's, it's big for a beetle, but it's small for a creature. Right. Mm-hmm. And this one little creature has these two, two glands that store two different chemicals and he squirts them out at the same time. And it causes a chemical reaction that creates smoke and the scalding acidic liquid. If a beetle can do this, 
if this is a real thing in nature, that a beetle can do this, how, why can we not conceive that dragons could put some of them, the fire breathing types at least, why can't we conceive that perhaps they can do the same thing? And the, spit fire out of their mouths. The writers of Reign of Fire with Matthew McConaughey and Christian Bale conceived of this. Because that's literally what it is. Right. Have you ever seen that movie? It's literally yeah. have a sack on each side of their mouth. And when the chemicals come out and hit in the air, it just turns into fire. Which is a real thing that could perceivably happen. Right. And obviously this beetle does something almost exactly like that. Um, <laughs> so Ty Guy Brothers and Fry says, so they aren't fire breathing, they're fire squirting. That's, right? That's what it is. That's the issue. <laughs> it's the and <laughs> the myths play out a little differently too because they're not all breathing they're not all described as breathing fire some of the stories just have them breathing like noxious poisonous fumes like the bombardier beetle exactly so it's like what's actually happening here right is even the bombardier like the bombardier beetle it's it's acid but it's very hot so if you have if you have a a dragon spinning hot acid, not actual fire, but if you have them spinning hot acid at straw roofs, you could conceive that the straw roofs could go up in flame because of the hot the heat, right? Without it actually being a dragon spitting fire. Right. Yeah, and I mean, how else would it be described in history? You know, dragon exactly. spits on your roof and it catches on fire. You would say it breathed fire it, under your it roof. It breathed fire. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I'm saying it's possible. <laughs> I'm saying the fire breathing does not. Uh, it doesn't negate its possibility as a, as a cryptid. Right. For sure. As, yeah. yeah. All right. Let's get into the Bible references because this, this is, I've always loved this part. So the Bible has a couple of different references to something that could be conceived of as a dragon. And you would, you would expect that if dragons were real, they would be somewhere in the Bible. They would have to be, right? Right. You, you can't really. So, okay. So first we have behemoth. So Job 40, verse 15 is where we're starting. Uh, And God is talking to Job and he's making a point about how big he is and how small Job is. (laughs) And he's like, look, I made all this stuff. Shut up. (laughs) So he says, behold, behemoth, which I made as I made you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold, his strength is in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like bars of iron. He is the first of the works of God. Let him who made him bring near his sword. For the mountains yield food for him where all the wild beasts play. Under the lotus plants he lies in the shelter of the reeds and in the marsh. For his shade the lotus trees cover him. The willows of the brook surround him. Behold, if the river is turbulent, he is not frightened. He is confident, though Jordan rushes against his mouth. Can one take him by his eyes or pierce his nose with a snare? Obviously, this is talking about a massive creature. A massive Fairly docile vegetarian creature, mm-hmm. um, which there are certainly those in in dinosaur. Like, what is that? The um, there's a couple different ones. The big, like a brontosaurus, or yeah, like a brontosaurus. Like the there's several different <clears throat> conceived of very large plant eating um, um, dinosaurs that you that you see. And that's the idea here that, you, that we're getting. Now, the King James Version takes liberties with this and translates behemoth as hippo. 
I can see um, it kind of. I don't know. I think the part that gets me on this one is the tail. Um, right. He makes his tail stiff like a cedar. Look at that cedar tail. Like, well, that is a cedar. I would also say it's interesting to me that that uh, Behemoth is described as the first creature that God made. Which would, yeah. again, if we're talking about order of, of oldest, it would point towards some type of dinosaur, wouldn't it? I would think. Yeah, I mean, I think first of creation could be just like, this is the biggest. Sure. That would still think, would preclude the hippo. But yes. Exactly, because the hippo <laughs> is still smaller. It, there's no reason for the hippo to be the thing that God I mean, we're talking about like biggest here. land animal, an elephant would be a closer It would be a comparison. closer one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But you'd have to explain why the passage doesn't talk about his trunk. Right. <laughs> so that's that's Behemoth. And then we get into Leviathan. So there are several references to Leviathan in the Bible, but most notably, it's this passage in Job that flows directly out of the Behemoth passage. So I'm going to read straight through from where we left off uh, Job 41. What's up? I didn't say anything. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I thought you wanted to interrupt me for some reason. Okay. <laughs> Not this time. <laughs> pay attention to this one because leviathan is something else right like he starts with behemoth he's like he's big and he eats grass not, and not then only, you're like <laughs> not only do most christians think leviathan is something more than behemoth being po the possibility of a giant hippo or something like right. that but like all occultists throughout history think so as well so. think leviathan something yeah. but the king james version translated leviathan as as crocodile seriously and as i read this Maybe sobek you're familiar with the Sobek? <laughs> right, so right. It's like a giant mythical crocodile. Right. Yeah. Okay. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook or press down his tongue with a cord? Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many pleas to you? Will you? Will he speak to you soft words? Well, again, okay, we're talking about an animal that can talk. Right. There's this, and, 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 and a lot of the dragon mythology has the has the creature speaking um and Man, making this, I'm sorry, i haven't read deals. job 41 in a minute and well actually no i listened to job 40 i listened to all of job recently and i totally was like spaced out at this part because now that i'm looking ahead and reading ahead, i'm like oh my gosh i'm like seeing connections yeah. here so, so yeah. go ahead go ahead okay um Will he make many pleas to you? Will he speak to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Remember these words in a minute, because I'm going to make a point about this, specifically yeah. this covenant friendship thing. He's like, are you really going to make friends with Leviathan and make him your servant? Will you play with him as with a bird? Will, or you put him on a leash for your girls? Will, will traders bargain over him? Will they divide him up among the merchants? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hands on him. Remember the battle you will not do it again behold the hope of a man is false he is laid low even at the sight of him no one is so fierce that he dares to stir him up who then is he who can stand before me who has first given to me that i should repay him whatever is under the whole heaven is mine i will not keep silent like god's making this point of like this is how fearsome this creature is and i made this creature so think how big i am he says, I will not keep silence concerning his limbs, nor his mighty strength, or his goodly frame. Who can strip off his outer garment? Who would come near him with a bridle? Who can open the doors of his face? Around his teeth is terror. His back is made of rows of shields, shut up closely as with a seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. It's talking about scales, right? Mm-hmm. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His sneezings 
flash forth light. Yep. And his eyes are like the eyelids of the dawn out of his mouth. You've never, go seen, you've never seen a crocodile sneeze light? <laughs> you've never seen a fire breathing croc? <laughs> <laughs> what a beauty. The eyelids of the dawn out of his mouth go flaming torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils comes forth smoke as from a boiling pot and burning rushes. His breath kindles coals and a flame comes forth from his mouth. I mean, we have a whole ass fire breathing dragon. Yes, and it like it doesn't just say it once. It says it like seven times in a row. Like, by the way, did you get? Okay, maybe you didn't understand the nostrils flashing, but like he <laughs> breathes fire. His his nostrils have smoke. Uh, his breath is like a kindled coal. Uh, and then just just in case you didn't get what I was saying, flame comes from his mouth. Like, <laughs> Over right and over. Yeah. In his neck abides strength and terror dances before him. The folds of his flesh stick together, firmly cast on him. Do crocodiles have a neck? I don't know. <laughs> his heart his heart is hard as stone, hard as the lower millstone. When he raises himself up, the mighty are afraid at the crashing they are beside themselves. Though the sword reaches him, it does not avail, nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. He counts iron as straw and bronze as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. For him, slingstones are turned to stubble. Clubs are counted as stubble. He laughs at the rattle of javelins. His underparts, again, there's some sentience here, right? Mm -hmm. His underparts are like sharp, sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a thresh threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him, he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white-haired. On earth, there is not his like, a creature without fear. He sees everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. The sons of pride. I've never heard that phrase before. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Here's a few more verses. There's there's several there's several references to him in the Bible, but here's a couple more of them. Psalm 104, 25 to 26. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. There go the ships and Leviathan, which you formed <clears throat> to play in it. So this like original design for Leviathan was just that he would be in the sea playing. Interesting. Psalm 74, 12 to 14. Yet God, my King is from of old working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan, plural heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. Isaiah 26, 21 through 27, 1. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will, will disclose the blood shed on it and will no more cover its slain. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. Yeah, I'm noticing people in the chat catching this too. They're saying it sounds like Hydra. Yeah, it does sound like Hydra. It sounds like this massive <clears throat> satanic sea monster that was originally created for a good purpose. It was like originally good, created to play in the water, right? Mm -hmm. But absolutely fearsome, fire-breathing, multi-headed beast. <laughs> 
Which makes you wonder, is this one of the creatures, the, you know, the Bible talks about all flesh being corrupted by the Nephilim mm-hmm. or the sons of, of God, you know, the, the fallen angels. Right. Is this it's, one it's of like the big because, daddy creatures? Because like, yes, Marvel calls their, their, you know, deep evil thing Hydra, right? But it's also a mm-hmm. reference to the occult, uh, you know, all these occultists using Leviathan. Like we were in Riverside this year or last year mm-hmm. and we both noticed a symbol all over the town. I was like, why does this town have this deeply satanic symbol? And I had to look up this Leviathan mm-hmm. cross. Like their, their mm-hmm. town symbol is the Leviathan cross in Riverside, California, which I found really weird. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another reference to a dragon in, in there's, there's actually, there's quite a bit of dragon and monster imagery throughout the Bible, particularly Mm -hmm. in the more poetic and symbolic passages. Um, So I don't want to go too far into it because there's like a lot of different places where like a king is compared to a monster. Like we've, we've, we've been seeing it in our, in our Ezekiel readings, but I want to talk about the dragon in Revelation 12. Metalcore Morticia um, was like already asking about it in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yes. Yes. Okay. So if we start in verse three of, of Revelation 12, and another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great red dragon with seven heads mm. and 10 horns on his heads, seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to skip forward um, to verse seven. Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. There was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. He will accuse them day and night before our God. And there's more, there's more about the dragon here. You can, you can, um, it goes on to talk about the dragon and the beast and how the dragons worshipped and the beast is worshipped and all this stuff. But there's this, there's this end times idea about, Let me go back to that um, passage from Isaiah real quick. In that day, the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. You start to wonder if like, is it the same dragon? Is Leviathan the dragon or are they just part of the same, like, they at least seem to be part of the same bloodline, right? Right. That maybe the dragon is the father and then Leviathan's the next, the very next, the first generation passed. And then maybe the rest, maybe the rest of the dragons are all descended from there. Yeah, maybe. Um, sorry, I just have a lot to think about with this. Yeah. <laughs> I get stuck Let thinking me, about Revelation 12. So sorry I know. to keep going. Let me present one more thing, and then we can get into this discussion piece and we can start to tease out a little bit of it. I want to go back into deep Greek myth. This is deep Greek myth. This is this is um, the giants, the primordial stuff in Greek myth. We have this creature called Typhon, and we have an artist's rendering of Typhon, and he he comes a he he looks a lot like either the dragon in Revelation or Leviathan or some combination of both. And I want to read from, this is greekgodsandgoddesses.net. This is a description of Titan. And it says, Ty- sorry, Typhon. 
not Titan, Typhon, the Typhon, the father of all monsters. It says there might be gods and monsters, but rarely are you going to hear about a god who is also a monster. That's exactly what Typhon is, and it's why he's one of the most fearsome deities that you can face. He's most often described as the most powerful and fearsome god in Greek legend, so it's no wonder his name stirs up so much fear and awe. He was a giant that was so tall that his head touched the stars. His torso was that of a man, but his legs were coils of vipers that would hiss and attack as he moved his main head, head on it, a hundred snake heads who would make different sounds of animals. His eyes were glowing red and would terrify anyone who looked upon them. And he had what was called a savage jaw, which would breathe fire. His body had hundreds of different wings, on it and his hands were made up of a hundred snake coils just like his legs as we said before typhon is a god and he's child of gaia and tartarus gaia was the earth goddess and tartarus was the murderous bottomless pit like the personification of the bottomless Mm. pit the myths say that hera wanted to create a god more powerful than zeus so she had these two gods give birth to typhon and uh he is known as the father of all the monsters uh, he married the goddess Echidna, and they gave birth to, like, all the other monsters in Greek myth. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it sounds very similar to the biblical idea, yeah, right? It really does. So I want to I go back to the stories. Um, if you kind of take it, the I mean, it also, of- sorry, but it also sounds, you, you bring up Tartarus and you bring up the, the mm-hmm. father of monsters. Sounds, again, like Genesis 6, like this idea that the fallen angels had corrupted all flesh and created right. all these these monstrous these things, beings, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's that's what we kind of get to, this whole question we've been sitting on the whole time. Like, if they're real, are they real animals or demonic beings? And I, and I want to say, yes, they are real animals and they are demonic beings. Because <laughs> if you take the aggregate of the stories, um, the the... Both the historical accounts and the the more fantastical stories, you you come up with a bunch of features. You have them hoarding gold, which you have that association with gold and the Anunnaki and and all that. You have them sometimes speaking, and when they speak, lying. Mm-hmm. Um, appeased by sacrifices, particularly virgins, um, and either depending on the culture, either hunted by heroes or worshiped it's like there's only two choices with dragons you either hunt them well right or and you very particularly them. if we're talking about aztecs we're talking about uh sacrificial demonic uh you know ancestor worship yeah. cults and then you're talking about the heroes of christendom which are the ones who are slaying dragons it's, it's <laughs> i mean it's it just it, it just says what it is throughout all of history right like this is right. these are the creators of monsters or or the dragons are creations of the creators of monsters like Typhon, like Azazel, like Satan, like whatever fallen angels mm-hmm. that created the Nephilim and, and corrupted all human flesh. Again, talking with Paul Stobbs, it seems like the clown motif, which is ancestor worship, is ancestor worship very particular, like a serpent, like a dragon. Mm-hmm. And then you see, you, you just you just lay it out. We've got them hoarding gold. We've got them yeah. doing all this Anunnaki type stuff. And then we have the, the link between the Anunnaki 
tree of life stuff and the the serpent yeah. tree of life stuff. It's wild. It just see it feels like again everybody's got a piece of the truth throughout all of history. Mm-hmm. And some of their pieces of truth are pieces of lies too. Like that's the other thing to remember is people are being fed this it, it, depending on who they're worshiping, right? If they're if they're dragon worshiping cults, if they're death worshiping mm-hmm. cults, if they're ancestor worshiping cults, they're speaking of these things as either good or inevitable. Like you mm-hmm. might not even think of the Anunnaki as particularly good. They're considered slavers, but they still worship them out of like fear right. and out of right. having no choice. And they sacrifice their children to them out of fear and having no choice or feeling like they have no choice if they want rain or whatever blessings that they want to get from these fallen angel creatures. Anyway, my point in all that is just, it feels like we're just getting these glimpses of, of all of these people throughout history who didn't look at world, look at the world in an extremely materialistic way. And yet they were still seeing and speaking to the same beings, just like today, people who stopped looking at the world in this over materialistic way, they're either, you know, they're the worshiping God or they're going out in the, mm-hmm. in the Amazon and taking ayahuasca, but the people taking ayahuasca are seeing something too. They're all seeing the same things. And that's what I find so fascinating throughout history is you've got people from all these cultures seeing the same things. And now today as we've got this move towards spiritualism and, and honestly, the unfortunate part is it's mostly a move, especially in the conservative circles of this move towards uh, like ayahuasca spiritualism. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But they're still Mm -hmm. seeing the ancient beings and they're, they're coming to the realization that we can't all hallucinate the same thing. Yeah. And that's what I feel like with dragons. It's not like every one of these cultures is hallucinating or having the same imagination about the right. same exact creatures. They're speaking of right. something that they've seen or experienced, whether it's in this plane or, or the astral plane. Maybe they're doing ayahuasca, too. We found out that uh, when we went to CPAC, remember, there yeah. was, we found out that 12 thought, well, according to them, and I, you know, dating's whatever, but things that we know are older than the pyramids. Uh, the, what, why can't I think of it? The... The oh my gosh, Gobekli Tepe. Uh, yeah, yeah. They determined that they were doing um, uh, psychedelics. Yeah, based yeah. on the stuff that was br- like the molds and things that were left over in their cooking pots was like a form of a psychedelic that they were like cooking up and drinking, like right. like ancient ayahuasca. And then they were making <laughs> dragon statues. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm not saying like I think that they had a physical realness in our right. world. But it seems like in every culture, even if they were worshipped, you you have to realize that they are evil beings with varying levels of sentience. Mm-hmm. Like some of them don't seem to have speech, but they're still evil. Um, and some of them do, ha- like some of them are really big and really evil. Um, but as with... And this is where I told you we're going to get back to Stephanie Meyer, right? As with every seemingly evil being in mythology, in the last few decades of literature, we've seen them presented as good, actually. Mm-hmm. And so, in we have like the Aragon books by Christopher Paolini, and another example is the Temeraire books by Naomi Novik. And I like both of these series. I've read. I've read all, all the Aragorn I love, books. I love the, yeah. all the Aragorn books, and then I'm I'm midway through the Temeraire books, and they're they're delightful um but in both of them we see this idea emerge of dragons being bound in these deep spiritual covenants to their writers as like servants or best friends or some like like that same as that passage in job i told you to remember of that's like, the one are you i was thinking really? of right it was like when you read that i'm thinking to myself this sounds so much like that relationship in aragon right yeah and god's like you're not gonna have this relationship with this being like you you might think you 
do. But so it's, it's, it's interesting, this like flip side of I talked about you know, all the women falling in love with all of the monsters. Um, but in this case, it's men giving their hearts and souls to dragons. Right. Here we go again. Will he make pleas to you? Will he speak uh, to you soft words? Will he make a covenant with you to take him for your servant forever? Mm-hmm. It's like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Bookstore source, bookstore Thor says how to train your dragon. Another great example of, of yeah, the idea of, of bonding with a dragon and, and training it and riding it. Well, I mean, we, time and time again, especially Disney and Pixar are some of the worst at this. We see these concepts of being uh, everything that we grew up thinking was bad. Everything that we grew up as thinking was evil has now become cutesy mm-hmm. and has become cutesy in a, a very Disney way. And to most, it just seems like this innocent, you know, oh, well, I, dragons aren't real because of glitter. Therefore, because right. I because I put glitter on my painting. <laughs> Therefore, uh, if I ha- write a story where a dragon's a good guy, it doesn't have any actual um, mm-hmm. you know, bearing on reality and it doesn't have any bearing on my children, but yet we're training children in the way of seeing everything that we used to use. Whether, whether you think dragons are just a symbol of evil, which at very mm-hmm. least they are, Certainly. you're still, yeah. you're still teaching your kids all the, all the symbols of evil are good actually. Even yeah. if you're just talking about the symbol and not the symbolized. And I think it's both. I think the symbol exists because of the symbol, because of what it symbolizes. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, because of that, I think people also need to learn to to read things with a little bit of, you know, Job's very poetic, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that the thing it's symbolizing isn't true, but it also it doesn't mean that we have to take every uh, account as 100% literal. Just the right. fact that they are seeing something. They're describing it as all as giant serpents, and they have a very particular uh, taste in, in sacrifice and in mm-hmm. evil and, and things like that. Um, but yeah, either way, we're teaching our kids either to worship demonic beings, to worship Nephilim beings, or to worship the symbol of Nephilim beings, which is what mm-hmm. the dragon is at, at very least. Yeah. So uh, Dragon Tales chat is is referencing Dragon Tales. Yeah, all these like, kids yeah. shows and kids movies that 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 make dragons cutesy and, and all that. Um, okay, so getting down to it, I, I think these were real beings with real biology, but with Nephilim blood, which makes them a demonic creature, right? Like, mm-hmm. it, it, it means that when they die, their their spirit can't go anywhere, right? V- Victoria brought up Falcor, which I believe is a reference to the, the what is it, the never-ending story? Am I getting that right? Because she has a big fluffy dog like it could fly. And that's okay. another one that I find interesting because that's the dragon in the, in the way of Chinese dragons or Quetzalcoatl. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Land Before Time is another good example. But yeah, were these beings... Nephilim beings, where these beings fallen angel blooded beings, and then then the blood just like the bloodline dies out, and that's why they go extinct. I mean, I, I I tend to think that most of these weirdo cryptids that are not as easily explained as just a, a silverback grill that we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. I think that that's what they are. I, I think that's why, especially when you pair up the supernatural weirdness around them, right? Like, and if the pattern holds right, is we see these beings getting more animalistic over time, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. you could see these things like a dragon becoming, you know, less about the, less speaking and malevolent and evil to just more animalistic, the way that you see right. Bigfoot being a big hairy Nephilim 
uh, mm-hmm. you know, that just became kind of more like an ape over time and less like, right. less like a, a human. I would think, I think it's both though. I don't think it's just, I don't think it's just Nephilim. I think it's Seraphim too, right? I think mm-hmm. Seraphim is another, it, uh, the Seraphim is described or translated in the Bible multiple times as serpent. Right. So, and and maybe Nephilim is the wrong word to use because Nephilim is, is when a fallen angel mates with a human. And obviously that's not what's happening. You're seeing all flesh being corrupted. You're seeing fallen angels with reptiles, right? Right. So maybe they are Seraphim spirits instead. Well, that's what I'm saying is I feel like if if the Nephilim, if, if let's just say that for sake of argument that if a fallen angel also mates with a, a bull and makes a minotaur mm-hmm. that we could still like just we'll classify that as Nephilim, right? Mm-hmm. So I could see this still being Nephilim, but I also think that when we're talking about Quetzalcoatl, we're not talking about the worship of right. Nephilim. I think we're talking about the worship of a very specific and named fallen angel. Right. And, you know, same with the Chinese. Like they're making friends with these things and the Chinese culture is all ancestor worship. I mean, that's the thing mm-hmm. that Paul Stobbs pointed out is like the thing that you have in common with clowns is the same thing you have in common with these dragon worshiping people, which is that they're mm. ancestor spirit worshiping people. And the best way to understand ancestor spirits is to understand what jo- what the book of Enoch says Nephilim became. And that's when they died. Their spirits had nowhere to go and they're right. here as demons being worshiped. So ancestor worship mm-hmm. is demon worship. You know, if you're looking at it the way of right. of Enoch, so uh, when you have yeah, cultures you have... that are ancestor worshiping cultures, they're demon worshiping cultures, and and demons, seraphim, seem to be described as giant flying serpents. Honestly, right, right, yeah, um, yeah. It's what well, I had this thought in my head. It's all, it's about the bloodlines, right? Like right. the bloodlines and the ancestor ancestor worship are are going along with each other. So that's all. That's all I had before we were ready to um, end it and then get get on toward the rumble section. Unless you had any thoughts, but we can continue to discuss in the rumble section. Yeah. So for people who are listening, uh, if you are not familiar, we end the show for the people on YouTube. We end the show for the people who are listening, and we take a few minutes, sometimes a long time, to speak with our audience over here on Rumble. So please come over to rumble.com slash conspiracypilled. Watch us live on a Wednesday night. Come and join the conversation. Or if you're an audio-only listener, you just want to listen to this part where we're talking with people, that is on our locals. Uh, and you don't even have to you don't have to be a paying member to get that part. It's just up there on our locals channel. So conspiracypilled.locals.com. You can download the locals app on your iPhone or Android. Um, I think this is a great beginning of a conversation. I feel yes. like there's so much more to be said about the connection with dragons or sorry, with, mm. with dinosaurs and what we really know about dinosaurs. You already mentioned stuff about like the, the, the age of the earth and, and questions like that, that I think are vitally important to understanding these things. So right. I, I think it's like, I'm, I'm probably always going to like fall down on the side of like evil, uh, weird beings in history are related to the Nephilim in some uh, part. Right. I know Eric DeVault over here said something about Bigfoot being interdimensional. We've, we need to get more into the interdimensional aspect of these creatures, and that's also mm-hmm. stuff coming up. Um, but having talked to Abby, I know she's planning to continue a lot of the work she started with. You brought up Stephanie Myers and the Tree of Life. It seems to be a theme, and this one continues that. And I know we've got more of that coming this season, so stick around for stuff like that. I've got a lot of stuff I'm going to be bringing up from the past and, and, and expounding on. we got to Rumble rant over here from Sim Simcole. Am I saying that right? Simcal. This uh, five dollar rumble rant says Josh Porter had a couple of novels, Nevada, and Ad Edict of Worms that related dinosaurs and Nephilim. So ah, uh, I've heard of an Edict of Worms. Yeah, 
I will have to check that out. I've not heard of any of these, but I have an extra Audible credit right now. So if they're on Audible, I might have to check that out. Uh, we also have a couple of five-star reviews we're going to read really quick before we head over to the Rumble section. So first one comes from uh, Mr. Monotone. And I want to let you guys know, because people have asked, you know, I don't listen to you guys on iTunes. Do I have to give a five-star review on iTunes? We're finding ways to see the five-star reviews on other platforms. Um, and one of those platforms is Podcast Addicts. So if you use that, also try to leave us a five-star review. Um, we have one here, again, from Mr. Monotone that says, by far the best conspiracy podcast around you may not agree with them on everything, but you can be confident that Abby and PJ will be honest and well-researched. Very entertaining as well. So thank you. Uh, we also have Gene Linz, uh says, great podcast. This is from iTunes. says, love this podcast. So much info and very well-researched. I'm always excited when I get a notification that episode is out. So thank you for that. I know Ty Guy Burgers and Fries is here in chat tonight on Rumble, and he left us a five-star review on iTunes. Says the most genuine folks in the conspiracy space. Knock knock. Who's there? Space commies, Nephilim, and the dark dawn of the underworld. Reptillary Clinton. Uh, <laughs> and that's exactly how it should Love be. It. That's so great. This podcast is the most cohesive, well-researched, and entertaining one out there. I started as a casual listener before I knew it. I've listened to them all and am patiently awaiting for the next episode. Aww. PJ and Abby give every theory a fair shake and don't pretend to believe things that they don't. PJ and Abby somehow survived researching and presenting three whole episodes on Shartaria. <laughs> Shartaria. <laughs> Every episode is very open and honest, although an episode uh, using hushed, inquisitive podcast voices would be hilarious. <laughs> Should we do? <laughs> maybe, maybe. We, okay. So guys, sorry, really quick. I'll get back to this review. I've been thinking to myself of setting some type of like goal and reward for like hitting a, hitting a subscriber on locals like goal. And maybe that would be one of them. It's like our, our imitation of a podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that'd be great that'd be, be great it'd be fun uh it says i'm here for the long haul now god bless you guys and please never ever throw in the towel on this show Aww, so thank, thank you, you so much for that uh, and then last one over here from kss01 time that says great show love the commentary and the real-time interactions from the host to the topics at hand it is nice to have both sides man and woman side of the issue it truly makes me happy to hear the comments and all the awesome mainstream and current po uh, current topics of all that seems to be hidden or forbidden keep up the great work loving it so thank you guys again so much for the five-star reviews they really really help the show it's an easy free way to help the show um and yes, uh, what is podcast? We'll explain it over on the Rumble section. Yeah, so. yeah. See you guys in a minute. <laughs> See you guys over there. For anybody else, come join us next time. Have a great night, everyone. God bless.